Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Damaris Lewis, Sports Illustrated model, is joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. You you have great personality. You can hear it in your voice. Would you date an NBA player? I'm open to anything, but respect. Old school. Chivalry. Like, I listen to Sinatra in the morning. You need to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear you're single, then. <laughs> With your host. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. Our next guest should have been our first guest, Isaiah Thomas. How do you think you would play in today's NBA with the rules the way they are? Be honest. Uh, average <laughs> We will win a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I was covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. Oh, signing day in the NBA, free agent season, trade season, crazy season. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker somewhere chilling in the hinterlands known as New York. And then Rick Fox, seriously. I was really in the hinterlands. Happy happy, <laughs> happy Independence Day, brother. Thank you, man. I know it's a big day in the Bahamas. I, you know, they couldn't do it without their number one ambassador, man. So That's I know you're enjoying it. And I appreciate the shout out for my fellow two four tours, but I was you know I don't know how many Bahamians go from mountains of Yellowstone <laughs> Park, Yellowstone <laughs> Club, all the way down to the Bahamas in less than twenty four hours. But I'm glad to be home here. I'm coming to you live from from the celebrations uh, here. Forty years, man. I was on my dad's shoulders in 1973 wow. uh, watching the fireworks, and, we, and they went off again last night. So big, big day for us, man. How does that? Uh, I mean, I know how we celebrate the Fourth of July here, which this year was raining cats and dogs, and we we're in the house on the George Foreman instead of a real grill. But I mean, how do how do they celebrate the Fourth or you know Independence Day rather in the Bahamas? Oh, same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of people come out like last night. They have a Junkanoo rush off at 3 a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, our version of Carnival is a celebration, okay. uh, com- competition amongst the, the many groups. Uh, they had huge firework, dis- you know, displays mm-hmm. uh, at the Fort, Fort Charlotte. And then today, downtown, they'll, they'll have uh, different, uh, you know, political figures come out and just recant the history and right. acknowledge certain people uh, uh, that have been uh, leaders in the charge uh in, in our history, country's history. I, I told Rick I wasn't sure if he was celebrating the independence of the Bahamas or his own independence from Dwight Howard. I knew, <laughs> I knew it was coming. I, I was trying to soft shoe him laying and like ease into it because I know he's getting ready to go on one of his classic rants. But let's go ahead and get it out of the way. I mean, really? To Houston? Are you surprised? Were you surprised or did Were you, you expect thrilled? this? Were you excited? <laughs> I, I, look, I <laughs> – <laughs> uh, I I was I was not surprised. Mm-hmm. I I really thought that the hammer or the nail in the coffin or whatever saying you want to choose mm-hmm. uh, 
the gauntlet was thrown down when Kobe came out and said he was going to play for three to four more years. Yeah. And you know, everything that I'd heard was whether, whether it be the coaching, whether it was, was wanting to be the number one and things should go through him, whether it was his inability to, uh, you know, find comfort in, in Kobe's, you know, leadership. And it, it just all, to me, the door slammed when, when Kobe <laughs> announced that because yeah. – we know any Laker team that Kobe's on is going to be his team. Right. And he's got a lot to prove right now. And so I, I just saw I saw the writing on the wall at that point. But I just, you know, look, I'm reading quotes from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> look, I mean, it, it, I'm not alone in this. No, you, know, you are not. Place. And so I, I might have shouted the loudest and carried the, less, <laughs> the, the, least, the least resume. But, you know, I, I just... I just didn't think he was right. And it's, look, good, you know, good for him from, for leaving then because he knew also it wasn't a right fit for him. And, right. and it's not the right fit for the Lakers. So, so everybody can move on. And, and you know, as I, I, did a, I did a show where someone asked me to pitch Dwight Howard staying. <laughs> you see, yeah, right. You must not know where I stand on this. <laughs> they were like, no, 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 no. We, we just, just pitch. What would you say to him? I said, at the end of the day, I'd, I'd pitch him exactly how Dean Smith pitched me mm-hmm. when I was when he was in my house with my guardians and my parents and was recruiting me to come to Carolina. And he said, son, we recognize you have a lot of talent. He said, we'd love to have you be a part of our, 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 our school uh, as, a, as a student athlete. But the bottom line is we're going to win with you or without you. I have, and, I, if Rick was pitching to uh, Dwight Howard, I would expect him to pitch at his head. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, it, you know he's he's well on his way, but I don't know I don't know if it puts Houston in in the top three in the, in the West. I think that's debatable still. Um, I think they got a long ways to go. I think they'll find out that Dwight is not going to want to be second fiddle to James Harden. James Harden is a lot younger than Kobe Bryant. Uh, their style of play is a lot faster than what D'Antoni was even trying to get him to play. Right. So there's a lot of things. I think, you know, a lateral shift from a 45 and 37 team, both Lakers and Houston were the same record. Right, I right. get that Houston might be younger, but far less experience when it comes to winning championships and some of the guys he was already playing with, as well as an organization. Yes, they've won some championships in Houston. It's not to belittle their efforts. I won't call them the Astros like Phil Jackson did, <laughs> but, but uh, Phil's, you know, full, full of humor. Um, but I definitely think uh, that the Lakers are going to be better suited. As you can see, some of the moves they're making now are basically to hold down the court, the, the fort here for one year and really then make some noise next year. I wonder, I'll, Lang, Lang, Rick, if this uh, leaves a any more of a sour taste in your mouth about Dwight. I, the weird thing for me is I kind of feel relieved now, like maybe for the next few years at least, we don't have to worry about or hear about all this drama that we've heard about the last couple of years with Dwight. This makes me feel kind of, you know, at ease about his situation. Now, he's going to have to live with it either way. You know, it's no more right. pointing fingers at a coach or, you know, grumbling about this. He's, for better or worse, Houston is stuck with Dwight for the next, you know, four years, at least his first three before well, he's got, an, I was gonna say he's got. Yeah. But does this does this ease your mind at all now about Dwight? Do you feel any different about him than you did going into the process? Where where do you stand in terms of just your personal opinions of him? And I ask that because I remember how 
you know, strong the reaction was to LeBron after he made his choice, you know, three years ago. And, and I'm wondering where Dwight fits now in that in that scope for you. For me? I'd say uh, I, I, I'm glad this the drama's over for, for now. That doesn't mean a year and a half is not going to start again. <laughs> you know, uh, I just wonder, you know, I've watched Dwight since he was a, in high school and uh, I, I met him when he was a senior in high school. Um, and he was such a nice kid. You kind of root for him. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised at the way his, uh, his, his career has gone. I didn't really expect it to go this way. And I, I don't think it's too late to, to sort of turn things around, but, uh, he, he's on his what third team in three years now, four yeah, years. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt he's had some tumult. Yeah. In his career. So I, I, I'm curious to see how it plays out and I want to see, I think he's got more to give, and uh, he he didn't do that on the Lakers. I'm I'm curious to, to I wanted to ask Rick, yeah. as someone who likes the Lakers and played for the Lakers, when a free agent, the the biggest free agent on the market, who you have basically first rights to, and you put billboards up all over the town, and then says, "I don't want to play for your team," does that worry you a little bit about the state of the Lakers? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're talking about the number one free agent in a weak free agent uh, class. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I think Dwight would have fallen way down the list uh, a year from now. And, um, really? Uh, no, when I say way down the list, I mean, I'm talking for his case, mm-hmm. third, third, you know, he wouldn't have been the number one free agent coming out next year, I don't think. Not when you're talking about the options that are going to be out there. So he would have been. He would have been. I mean, you're talking about LeBron James. But he would have been behind I, LeBron. But I mean, you think he'd have been behind I, Carmelo I, or I Chris Bosh? LeBron. Well, well, wait, wait, what do you? Who else is out there? It's a deeper class than that. When you're talking about going forward for five, you know, four or five years, and and if you got the money to spend on youth, I know. But you, I'm saying, you think he would have? You think he okay, would drop they, behind okay, Carmelo bias, and Bosh okay. or somebody? My, my, no, my my bias is coming. In. <laughs> Um, uh, I think he definitely, obviously would have, would have been up there. Um, but I just think that, um, right now the future of, of his career, the remaining years of his career will be decided by what he does in Houston because his next stop, if he moves from there, will will be already, you know, his career will be will have been written at that point, uh, to a degree. He won't be any younger. He'll probably be more banged up, uh, and and the Lakers will continue to go, you know, go forth and and be reloaded in a year and and be strong again. So him leaving, I think people got a sense of how his time in L.A. was, and but people got a sense of him. And this is you know this is this this is a superstar that's just had an indecisive career, and, and quite frankly, is still pointing fingers out outward instead of looking inward. If you ask me. Yeah, I, I agree, and and we'll we'll talk more about Dwight uh, in a few minutes here on the Hang Time Podcast with our guests. But uh, what about these other signings? I loved Chris Paul, you know, first guy to sign on the dotted line with little Chris watching. Right, um, I, I'm sure you guys saw the Instagram. It's, yeah, I, I love the way he handled the entire process from from start to finish. And you can point people can point fingers at him and say, hey, you know he. He's the reason Vinny Del Negro doesn't have a job, blah, blah, blah. But I love, love the way he handled this. Class. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, but he basically just handled it. All, all he did was, was as soon as he had the option, he said, okay, I'm staying with the Clippers. <laughs> and then as soon as he could sign the contract, he posted a picture of him signing the contract. Yeah. I mean, all, all he did when you say the way he handled it was he handled it the most normal way possible. And I guess against the backdrop of all this <laughs> other craziness, yeah. it seems like, you know, that, that he handled it incredibly well or everything, but he just basically did his business uh, against the way it's all, all the other stuff has played out. It's uh, it looks it looks a little bit better, I guess. I'm I'm interested to see how, you know, we've seen a lot of guys uh, commit to teams, and there's still a couple guys out there, and I'm kind of interested to see how some of those guys are going to end up, and where they end up, and what kind of deals they end up with. Yeah, give me your take on Monte Ellis, guys. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I think in this day and age, you know, he's a guy who doesn't resonate on both ends of the floor with a lot of people and that pushes him into a very narrow corner you know um in free agency i think he's not like andre Iguodala or some you know some of these other guys josh smith even who are capable of playing uh, yeah. yeah on both ends of the floor at a high level and i just watched the on nba.com and on, on the pistons website i watched the live stream of josh smith being introduced uh getting his number six jersey by the way lang i know that a little mm-hmm. wrinkle there for you, but I know Josh Smith leaving the Hawks. Paul Millsaps replaced him. You know, all these players we see moving around in free agency to me, that, you know, it's not like you said, Rick, it's not this super deep class. So it's not like there's all these, you know, big time, big name talents trading, you know, spots and moving around the league. These are really nuanced choices that some of these teams are making about guys they feel like can come in and help them in a very specific way. Um, David West staying with the Pacers. You know, you look around at all these different things. Um, Monte took a risk, you know, not yeah. opting for that final year of his deal. Yeah. He may get a long, you know, he may get some more long-term security, but is he going to find another deal making the kind of money he just walked away from? I don't know. I don't think no, so. No. I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be with a team that's uh you know, that's going anywhere in the near future. You look at the Charlotte Bobcats might be a team that would overpay mm-hmm. cuz they need a caliber guy, but that but a backcourt of you know, he, of uh, Monte Ellis and, and Kemba Walker. I mean, that that's that's uh, more undersized than Branding Jennings and Monte Ellis. Right. You know? And yeah. Well, so, he about an hour ago, a story broke that he parted ways with his agent. And that ain't ever good. Yeah. Um, but not, also, also, not on the first day of free agent signings. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. There's two, The interesting thing to me with him is that he, he's – average career almost 20 points a game and i think it's the most points per game by a player never to have been on an all-star team um which is a lot of points but on the i saw this stat on espn.com on the other side of that he's the he has the sixth worst player efficiency rating in nba history among players who've averaged at least 19 points a game Oh, okay. Dang. So, so basically, he's just not. Uh, he's a volume shooter, scorer, right? right. I mean, that yeah. that's what yeah. that's what that breaks down to. And I, I think, all, you know, Seku mentioned a lot of the teams are trying to figure out what parts go where and all these other things. But there's also a lot of guys who rely a lot heavier on analytics than they used to. And when right. you have these numbers staring you in the face, uh, it, it's not a. I don't think Ellis is the kind of guy that teams are going to invest a lot of money in the way they might have five, ten years ago. Well, I always thought he was explosive, but I never thought yeah. – I was never fooled by those numbers. I mean, the Golden State years when he that team wasn't very good and he was dropping 40s, yeah. 
here and there. You could always see by the percentages that it was exactly that high volume attempts, low shooting percentages. I mean, I, you know, if you're an athlete that that has some skills as a guard, yeah, you can put up those numbers. But it, you know, it's not gonna. It really doesn't bode well for winning. Well, let me right. let me throw something at y'all that's kind of you know on along that same vein that that kind of gave me pause the other day. You look at all these teams and and who and what they value, and a guy like Andre Iguodala, you know, who is by all measure, everybody loves the deal, you know, that the Golden State Warriors swung to get him. And, you know, he, he played the year in Denver last year, helped them, you know, one of the best seasons they've had in franchise history. First-round playoff exit, of course. Iggy's a guy whose PER numbers and all that stuff and his analytics are through the roof. But I would argue, and this is not a knock on him, but I would argue that, hey, you know, if you look at does he impact your bottom line in terms of wins and losses, he played for a long time in Philly as the number one or two option. Right. And they never climbed the ladder, uh, you know, of significance in the Eastern Conference when he was there. So it's hard for me to see people dump on a Monte Ellis or an Al Jefferson. You know, I saw a lot of people saying what a horrible deal that was for Charlotte to, to give Al Jefferson that contract. And I'm like, so much of your success in the NBA in terms of team is dependent on what organization you're playing in. You know what I mean? I don't know that Jettison Monte and, and Golden State changed all their fortunes. They had a lot of other business they had to get done. They had to get lucky, and the Knicks had to not take Steph Curry. They had to take him. Steph had to get health. I mean, you know, all these other things that have to play out for a guy to to be a part of a successful team that have nothing to do with his game individually. Well, it, it does a little bit, but it also has to do with what what – their number is in terms of salary, right? I mean, Iggy as a number one guy in Philly and getting paid like a number one guy is different than having him as your maybe second or third option in Golden State, right? Yeah, but I'm saying, yeah. but I'm but I'm not talking about what you what you make. I'm just talking about the perception of you as a player, just your skills and what you bring to the table. Like, I'm always I'm always miffed at this, Rick, that some guys get credit for being on good teams and get credited as being, you know, good players or great players. And then other guys who put up really good numbers but do it on a team that, you know, that's not as good yeah. are somehow seen as, well, this guy, you know, he puts up numbers, but it's just numbers. And I'm like, wait a minute. How well, do you how do you correlate the value between those numbers and each guy? I mean, I think so much of it is just this perception right. that a guy is this or that kind of player. Chris Bosh is a perfect example. I remember when he was in Toronto. You know, he put up great numbers, 20 and 10 guy, mm-hmm. but he was on bad Raptors teams that barely got into the playoffs when they did. Right. He goes to Miami. He still gets knocked, of course, obviously, but his value seems to be so much different in a winning situation than it was when he was in Toronto. And I'm like, that could be true for every guy if you put him on yeah. the right team. You put yeah. any dude on the right team, he becomes valuable. Right. I mean, and especially as, you know, when you're talking about role players. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I went from – I can think of my own personal experiences of being the captain and, and averaging 16 points for a couple of years with the Celtics and being one of the one of the scores and go to guys, but on the worst one of the worst teams in the league. And so, you know, it, I could have been perceived as just simply a guy that you know was scoring, you know, doing things on a in a bad team. Which, yeah. but then it wasn't until I got to the Lakers that my role shifted, but I became more valuable to that team in a particular role. And and my skills as a scorer wasn't needed as much, right. but my just skill as a basketball player and the understanding of the game. You know, Jerry West saw that yeah. in in Boston. He was like, "I'm gonna go get that guy." 
You go get that guy because I know in this situation, he's going to add to the equation and we can win championships. Right. And so it's just, I think it takes great basketball minds and, and eyes to understand that because I've seen a couple moves like San Antonio Spurs. They go and grab Marco Bellinelli. Right. That's a great pickup. Great pickup for them, yeah. That is a huge pickup. Because uh, you watch you watch him and, and you know, Lou, each time Lou Aldang went down or, or you know, two guard, you know, Jimmy Butler popped in there. But Mario Bellinelli was, was at, at worst, 18 points you know, easily, yeah. but actually had energy on the defensive end too. So, so you can see these things where guys might sit on a on a roster on another team, and you might not have uh, an average fan might not have the same respect for that player and think they're just you know, yeah, uh, an average one one note uh, musician. But get on the right, get in the right band, man, and they're, they're, <laughs> they're leading the charge, man. I want. Well, I mean, Bellinelli is a great example. You know, if, if he's theoretically your replacement for Gary Neal. Oh man! You know what I'm saying you're getting a player who can do so much more, at least based on what we've seen out of him previously. Yeah, he can do so much more. You know, as a two guard, as a shooter, as a defend, even he even defends. You know, so I mean, you're getting a much more dynamic player in that different situation. Now, whether or not he pans out, we don't know. I, I just, like I said, it just struck me the other day because our guy John Schumann and I were arguing about this. You know, he's he's a he's high on Iggy. You know, he's high on Andre Iguodala and how he changes the game for the Warriors. And I'm looking and going, how? How does he change their bottom line? He's not a, make, he's not a big, he's not a, yeah. you know. What? I can make a, I can make the argument. Here's the argument. Because I, I saw that and I've been, I've been looking at it too. And, and, and I, my thought is, okay, if you look at Miami, right? And everyone's saying, you know, the game is shifting. The style mm-hmm. of playing the NBA is, you know, it's just penetrate kicks, shooters, uh, really, size is not uh, preeminent. Not as needed as much. You can you can force teams to to you know to to, to play small, and, and if you can create speed and turnovers and defend, then that's the style of play that's going to win in the league going forward. Right. Okay. Right. Well, you got two. Well, if, you know, Mark Jackson said two best shooters in the history of the game <laughs> together, and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Now you got a Harrison Barnes, who's who's proven. He can actually play an athletic four-man at times, right. depending on the matchup. Right. And now you bring Igladala, who is who is uh, you know quite frankly from Gungarda, one all the way down to a four, maybe size wise, and right. is and is athletic and transition, and gives you that slasher that that really Clay and Steph and, and Harrison Bar- Harrison Barnes showed it a little bit, but they get that slashing. Right. And now you get a healthy David Lee and a Bogut. That's going to show up there defensively. That they are probably the most versatile group of of of, of youth and athleticism mm-hmm. that can play that style of play. And and I tell you, man, it's an interesting move because I knew they were they were talking about the Dwight Howard pursuit. But right, if you're going to try, if you're going to if you're going to say, okay, I believe that the way the Miami Heat play is the way the game's going to be played in the league for the next few years, then the Igladala addition, I think, gives them even more flexibility. Right. Well, forget the way the Miami Heat played. That's that's the way the Warriors played in the playoffs that made right. them so good. When, and when also they, the OKC Thunder and, and right. But yeah. but when David Lee went down, they had to go small. They threw Harrison Barnes in at the four, and and that's what worked for them. And I I totally agree with Rick and with Schumann on this that I think it's a great fit for Golden State. Mm-hmm. 
Saquon's going to be on the wrong side of history again. Yeah, like I always am. Like when I picked the Heat to win the championship. And all the <laughs> no, that was me. I picked the Heat. No, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, anyway, no, <laughs> no I'm, I'm just I'm pointing out the fact, guys, that there are, the, you know, there are these weird trends, you know, that certain guys get seen as great players. And I'm not knocking the player. I'm saying you put any guy in the right role on the right team and he's go- his value is going to – increase to me exponentially you know well, the thing that's much harder is finding this defining the role and finding the proper guy yeah and yeah. and i think you know um i don't ignore six seven eight years of history in this league and i and i'm gonna bring up my next target that i've been pounding on the last couple of days here you know a guy like andrew bynum you know you see these this idea that teams are going to make an you know, offer to him, maybe a two-year deal and this, any other. Another thing I've been arguing with people, you know, that this is some great idea that, hey, you know, I, I cannot tell you the last time I saw a great idea with a guy with his injury his, he turned out well for the team that had this grand plan for him. Ask Philadelphia, you know. Grant and, Hill? And all I'm saying, well, no, Grant, think about it. When, uh, when Grant Hill went to Phoenix, nobody was counting on Grant Hill, not even Phoenix. Right. Was counting on Grant Hill finishing his career the way he did. Let's not kid ourselves. No, but you I know. just thought you meant a guy who was injured and actually turned it around and became a productive. But no, guy. Uh, yeah, but I'm saying nobody was willing to go out on that limb and pay Grant Hill the kind of money we're talking about. I'm just saying all of these teams who calculate these risks and measure these things, I need to see. I need to see one that turned into a championship move. And I'm going back looking at these past few championship teams, and I'm going, I don't remember. You know. They built their teams in such different ways, the teams who have actually won titles. You know, Ron Artest was one of the last really great risks to me that paid yeah. some some bottom line dividends won in the finals. Yeah, won a championship. Yeah, I mean, actually won a championship. Like, I, it's very rare to me that you see teams make all of these kind of, you know, machinations and it turns into a championship move. Now, it – it could work. I mean, it could very well work, but you know, I, that's that's a huge gamble. It's huge. Yeah, with, it's with, huge. As it pertains, I mean, a two-year deal at twenty-four million dollars, and I get maybe there's an option. Yeah, team option in second year, which is fine, but second year, but still, twelve million, man. I mean, if I'm, he's saying he won't even work out. Yeah, and if I'm Cleveland and I'm trying to get out of the basement and get into the playoffs, even a one-year risk on a guy like this is that worth? Setting back whatever you might set back if he doesn't pan out and he's sitting on the bench, chilling. Well, you know, here's the I think here's the only here's an argument you could make for it is is they sign him to a basically a, it's a one year deal if there's a team option, right after the first year, and you give him the first two months of the season it's not working out he's not healthy. There's going to be a lot of teams who don't want to win games this season. <laughs> hey, you're not supposed <laughs> to say that, man. Well, there's going to be teams who are trying to uh, let's say uh, not not win a championship. Just have better position in next year's draft. <laughs> How about that? There's going to be teams who, who probably two, three months into the season are going to be like, you know what, let's worry about the draft. And you could probably move Bynum and in, in, in what's going to essentially be an expiring contract for uh, for for some space. And a, a player who could – if you're getting nothing from him, maybe you get something in return. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> I just – I mean, I, I'm one of these people that – to me, three, two, and three years in professional sports can be an eternity. Like you say, okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna tear it down to the sports and be bad for yeah. a couple of years so we can do it. Man, once you, that is such a gamble that if it turns out, you know, you made the wrong choice, you can end up six, seven years 
Yep. Yeah. You know, in 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 no man's land. And that's dangerous, man. That is the Cavaliers have not they hadn't busted a grape since LeBron left. So if you're gonna take risks, and they're not just taking risks in free agency, look at the drafts. Dion Waiters, you know, Anthony Bennett at number one. I mean, they're taking risks every time they do something. I would be concerned of putting that kid around their young players. Well, that's I mean, that's a whole other you know, dynamic that you have to think about. Is is this the kind of veteran leader you need around, you know, Kyrie Irving and, and some of these young guys? I just, I just, I'm just, I'm always surprised at the risks bad teams in bad, you know, I don't want to say they're bad franchises because every bad franchise is one lucky ping pong ball away from, yep. you know, LeBron or Kyrie or Derrick Rose or whatever, so. But I'm always surprised at the teams that are in the lottery at the risk they'll take some of them in the in free agency and trades. And then on the flip side, I look at what the Pelicans have done, the New Orleans Pelicans. I love some of the risks they're taking. I see you say cool. You know, I, I, yeah, you I mean, I love some of that. You got that Pelican in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, who's, I was like, who's the Pelican? Yeah, some of these young boys, they're, they're gambling on. New Orleans. <laughs> you know, uh, Drew Holiday, you know, Tyreek Evans. I mean, that those are the – if you're going to be – a team that's trying to claw your way into relevance in the NBA. Uh, to me, those are the kind of risks that could pay big dividends, as opposed to these these superstar gambles. We got. Listen, I'm uh, how could, I'm just saying, Rick. How could you trust Andrew Bynum at this point? I, if you're I, a franchise, how could you do I, it? I, I go from the inside. I go from the inside when he was a Laker to what I watched last year. Yeah. I not only do I got to see that kid work out. I'm cons- I'm cautiously I'm cautious about who I surround him with that's younger than him that is going to be watching him conduct himself right as a professional. It's not to say he doesn't handle his his work and and, and but it is all about his, it is all about him. And 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 when you got young guys, you know, figuring out how to be professional themselves, it is imperative that you surround them with guys that are actually you know really built. With team a team sense of of how to be professional, but also how to how to pull together and win championships. And I know he won a couple championships, man. But man, he he sure the heck was an individual among. Uh, he was he was he stood alone in, in those two years. Yeah, I mean, I, and that's dangerous, man. And would you take him? Would you take him on the Lakers right now, Rick? Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we only play because he's been there. And, and I know that Kobe could Kobe could handle that. Powell right. could handle that. And, yeah. And, but I would only pay him six million dollars. Yeah. I'd pay him six million dollars, but you know, and may, you know maybe I maybe I try to get him for two years and, and give him twelve and guarantee him right. twelve for two. Right. But not you know but twelve twelve million a year with even even with the option. That's that, that's beyond my the scope of what I could do for. For Andrew Bynum at yeah, this stage that's, of his that's career, stretching, man. That's that's stretching. But and, uh, and and I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of clauses in there in terms of having yeah, to play incentives and games and stuff. They got to get that in there. Yeah, I, um, I'm just saying. I, I'm uh, I'm I'm very wary of some of the the risks I see teams taking um, in free agency and and in some of these trades. Uh, the only teams that should be taking risks are the ones who know they have no chance of attracting anyone next right, year. Right, right, right. You know, really. I mean, like, you know, Charlotte Bobcats, they paid Al Jefferson the money they paid. To me, great move. Yeah. 
because you're not gonna get a, you're not gonna get anybody better than Al Jefferson in, in free agent market next year, right? You know, right. so you might as well get a solid big guy that knows how to operate down in the post where you guys are anemic, and you know, lock him up for a couple years. Right. At least you know you have a presence down there that knows how to maneuver and how to how to move and 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 you know, it adds some stability. Can they pull off one more of those moves? I don't know if I give. Uh, I don't know if 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 Ellis is the guy to add to that equation, because to me that's you know that's going in the wrong direction, even for the Charlotte Bobcats. <laughs> Speaking of pulling off moves, guys, uh, our guest this week on the Hangtime Podcast pulled off the move of the summer, broke the biggest story in free agency. My main man, Sam Amick of USA Today Sports, was the man who knocked out the Dwight Howard story before anyone else going to Houston Friday night, Sammy. Seriously, congratulations on the scoop. I got to got to tip the cap. Give us Thank you, brother. Give us the breakdown of how this came down and just, you know, what the final process was like in terms of what you gathered from all the sources you have. Well, I mean, this is no surprise, guys, but you know, the funny thing for me is that the uh the level of noise that followed, you know, when I went with the story in terms of people acting, <laughs> not I shouldn't say acting, but the Houston Rockets were in the lead, and that was the worst kept secret that there was. <laughs> right. And and it seemed like for weeks, you know, and it wasn't just a matter of being in the lead. I mean, you know, full disclosure, I mean, I was hitting his people saying, tell me why I shouldn't write that he made up his mind on June 25th. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that was a lot of the buzz. And then, as you can imagine, the response was, no, he wouldn't do that. He's respecting the process. He's going to sit with these teams. And, and so – you know, I was, I'm sure, one of a number of guys who were singing that song. Mm-hmm. So that kind of is a backdrop where you end up almost having your own mind made up already that this is what this guy wants to do. Um, but then when push comes to shove and, you know, and he goes to Aspen, um, you know, and it, you know how this stuff works. It's just, you know, he, he talked to one too many people, yeah. shared his intentions with one too many people. You know, that comes back around, you know, and then I kind of went straight to the source and, and made sure I was good on that front mm-hmm. and went and, and went with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I've been doing this a little while, but that was a, a memorable day. <laughs> Sam, uh, Lang Whitaker here. I've, speaking of seeing a guy pull off a move, I've seen Sam pull off some moves, but that's another story. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Sam, Are you uh, again, Lang? Are you, no, no. Come on. you brought it up. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, we, t- you know, we heard a lot about the way when LeBron did the decision, how he handled it, and how he, he to most people's uh, estimation, he handled it pretty poorly. What did you think about the way Dwight ended up handling the decision? Now, I mean, his decision. Now that we're a week past it, do you think he handled it pretty well? Do you think it went okay? Yeah, I think you just picked the right word. I mean, I'd probably go with okay. Um, yeah. It wasn't – I don't think – I mean, listen, it, you people in Lakerland wanted him to make up his mind, you know, two weeks after the season was over. Mm-hmm. And we all should have probably, you know, seen the writing on the wall there where if, if you know, I mean, if he was going to stay with the Lakers, there was a lot of reasons for him to tell them sooner rather than later. And when he didn't do that, that was obviously a pretty strong sign right. of all the questions that he had there. The only – probably criticism and gripe I would have and this sounds like I'm being subjective because I ended up being kind of part of it but like <laughs> the the message coming out of his camp when they allowed I don't know where you know you know his agent Dan Fagan talking about he hasn't made up his mind yet this and that like putting my PR hat on 
even if that was the case, and I've been told adamantly that was not the case, that he didn't waffle here. But I don't know why the heck you would go public saying, you know, something like that, because it ends up feeding that image that he has as a waffler, as a guy who can't make up his mind. So at the finish line, it got messy, and it could have been handled better, I think. But everything before that, it was fine. I mean, he sat down yeah. five teams. You know, he did it all in one location. It's not like he, uh, you know, dragged it out for two weeks. I didn't have any problems with it. Sam, Rick Fox, um, I, I, I'm wondering who this team is. I know Dan Fagan's the agent. I know they went up to Colorado, whatever. How, how many people did he consult, or how many people are, in, are part of his team that, that are helping make this decision? I mean, it's, it's kind of – my understanding is it's a team that has a, a couple layers and a couple camps that, that don't, you know, always coordinate successfully. <laughs> and I think – that's, you know, that's, that kind of bears itself out. You see that, um, you know, he's got guys that he, he lives with in terms of a cook and, and guys that he's talking to every day. Uh, he's got, um, you know, um, to be honest, guys, I don't want to out everybody in there, but I mean, he's got guys that come from different directions that are not part of Fagan's operation. Right. Uh, you know, so I just think that it's, you know, he obviously changed agents a while back. And so, you know, and that's been a minute. It's not like that happened a month ago. Um, but I think a lot of it, I, you know, I personally enjoyed Dwight when, I, when I've dealt with him. I'm, you know, he's, he's always been good to me, good guy, things like that. But I think he's, a, he's been a little tone deaf when it comes to just taking control of the situation and having instincts when it comes to the people around him and, and who's leaking, who's not, who's putting what out there, being a little bit naive about how, yell at the media because oh sources this sources that and you know as, as you guys know we're looking at him like man this is coming from your people but he's not even aware so uh i don't know what the answer is there rick as far as how he can clean that up you've been through it you've lived it i think instincts are the most important thing and i and i just kind of think that he lacks those when it comes to, to you know reading the, you're navigating those waters i guess yeah sam the uh and sam amick of usa today sports <clears throat> is on with us here <laughs> on the Hang Time Podcast, talking free agency, Dwight Howard, and a number of other things. There's so much vitriol directed at Dwight since he made his choice. Um, I think most people have seen the YouTube video or heard about it with Ice Cube blasting him. You know, um, <laughs> you, you know, Kobe unfound him on Twitter that same night, the Instagram photo and all this. I'm wondering, <clears throat> and, I, and I thought this when it first happened, and having talked to people a year and a half ago, two years ago, when he was forcing his way out of Orlando, his number one choice was always Brooklyn. And it was always, that was everything I'd heard from people who have known Dwight for years, dating back to his high school and AAU days, that he wanted to go to Brooklyn. His intention was always he wanted to play in Brooklyn with Darren Williams. The idea that the Lakers ended up with him and thought they would somehow just magically change his mind or convince him that this was the place for him to be when they were never on his radar prior to that strikes me now as a deal where he was never invested in being a Laker. And that's not a knock on Dwight. Guys get traded all the time and spend a year somewhere and move on, and and that's just a part of the business of basketball. But in hindsight, you looking at it and your dealings and interactions with not only Dwight but the Lakers this past year, did it seem to you as well that this guy was was, – he was an enterprise rental. He wasn't a (laughs) long-term solution. He was – he was renting and not buying, and it was clear to me at Christmas when I was in L.A. that that was the case and, and all throughout the process. And I'm wondering why so many people in L.A. are shocked that they couldn't convince him. 
No, I agree. I agree with all of that. I mean, I think that gets lost because if people go back and just read the stories, all we remember is that there was a list of three teams, right? And it was Brooklyn, Lakers, uh, and Dallas. Yeah. But but anybody who was close to it knew that it, that each team had its place. So Brooklyn was the real choice, and then and then the Lakers needed to be on that list for leverage purposes, and then Dallas had to be on that list because of Dan Fagan's relationship with Mark Cuban. That doesn't you know, mean that there was no genuineness or sincerity to that aspect, but you know, Brooklyn was by itself. And no, so I agree. I mean, I, do I think that he reached a point where there was a certain openness to figuring things out in Lakerland and then seeing where it went? Sure. Do I think if, if the team would have hired Phil Jackson instead of Mike D'Antoni that Dwight would still be there? I'd probably go with yes. Um, you know, things like that. So it's not that I never saw a path where he would stay with the Lakers, but I couldn't agree more that, you know, they basically just, they became the incumbent. And then their recruiting pitch was all year long, and that was the only edge they had. I mean, he, you know, he, he you know, I remember looking at his smile the day that they did the presser uh, for the Lakers and thinking to myself, like, I'm watching real closely. Like, man, is this real? You know, he looks happy. You know, I'm not really sure. But, uh, but yeah, I'm with you on that. Hey, Sam, now that this has happened in L.A., and I know you've still got your ear to the ground on other stuff, um, what do you think is next for the Lakers? It seems like they're, you know, like they're kind of taking the, uh, you know, the bring back the band approach and <laughs> and gonna just have, yeah, and have some fun this coming season. I don't know if, you know, the Pau Gasol question, you know, do they move him? Um, the the sense I'm getting, the vibe I'm getting right now, and I could be wrong, is that they don't, and they just, you know, I, I don't know whether it's out of deference and respect to Kobe. And, and, you know, his desire to, to compete as opposed to, to, you know, pull the trigger on some kind of rebuild or, or what it is. But, you know, we saw last night it got reported that, you know, uh, good old Jordan Farmer is coming back. Um, you know, you, some rumblings of Lamar Odom could be on his way. Uh, you know, it's, it's guys like that. You know, Kobe on Twitter, first picture going out is he and Powell embracing right. the two guys that were able to win two championships. Uh, I mean, listen, if they want to – cut that kind of check for a team that is going to have long shot odds to win the title, but is going to compete and be a good team, then, you know, that would be interesting. And it seems like that might be the way they're going. Rick, well, if they called I you. Just want, <laughs> I just want to be on record that if they put in a band together, back together <laughs> then my, my body has laryngitis. <laughs> I, don't be, I won't be playing anything. <laughs> Come on, Rick. They're almost there, man. Get uh, on board. Gosh, but I get it, man. Look, you know, you, you, if you're not going to be able to, you know, really truly compete for a championship, you, you at least want to give the fans uh, an entertainment value that they they recognize, appreciate, or have celebrated in the past. And who knows? Maybe some of these guys coming back. In the case of a Jordan Farmar, I don't know how many more years Lamar Odom has. But I know the exit for him was was an unfortunate one, and, and, and a sour. It, it was soured. Um, maybe they can bring him back and and mend that fence. But it is it is about holding over these eighty two games and and getting to free agency next year. Sam, I, yeah, I'll go ahead, Sam, and I, and I want to ask you no, another I, question. When you're done, no, don't worry. That just as it and then you know, addendum there, they're going to have a clean slate next summer. We all know that. Um, the the one thing that I'll be man, I'll be shaking my head. I'll be 
impressed with their, their fortitude, I guess. I mean, if they go ahead and, and decide not to amnesty Metal World Peace, which seems unlikely right now, I actually just checked on that. They still have not told Ron what they're doing, even mm-hmm. though he's putting pictures of himself on Twitter with Nick's hats on. If they swallow that $30 million you know, pill, um, then, then they're serious about being, you know, just going and having fun for one year at a high cost. Sam, I wanted to ask you, too, about the rest of this free agent landscape. We were talking earlier before you came on about just deals that surprised us, what we thought was a great fit. You know, Iggy going to the Warriors, we discussed. What other move that's gone on this summer so far sticks out to you as something that could be very beneficial in terms of moving a team's championship opportunities up a few notches? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't see – I'm not seeing a ton in terms of championship opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I heard you guys on the lead-in, and I I think uh, for the most part agree, you know, the, the Josh Smith move, you can criticize the money. But, you know, I always like it when teams are deliberate and they come up with a plan and they execute the plan. Mm-hmm. Well, Josh Smith, was that was your number one guy. You went out and you got him. Yeah. You know, uh, Al Jefferson. I mean, I forget who used the phrase anemic, but it just – that hits the nail on the head. The Bobcats – just had no post presence, no rebounding, no scoring. You know, you're going to get held up to a certain extent money-wise if you want to add that, so I don't have any problems with that deal. Um, you know, beyond that, the championship stuff, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, the stuff that we've seen transform franchises has been by way of trade. And, right. and really, I guess you could put the Clippers in there, but the J.J. Reddick thing, you know, that's a free agency sign and trade. I mean, it's just the rich getting richer. Yeah. I mean, I love that that deal for them. You know, they held on to Bledsoe. They knew he had value. Um, you know, I'm a big Jared Dudley guy. Mm-hmm. I think J.J. is going to be, you know, really good for them, too. And then you add Doc into that mix and what he can do with those pieces. I mean, they're going to be something else. Yeah. I read your, uh, Sam, I read your best and worst of free agency today in uh, USA Today. But we just kind of ran through some of your teams that you really liked. Throw someone under the bus now. Um, <laughs> Before Rick gets to it, because believe me, it's coming. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> who who were you who were you not as impressed with? Here's what's funny, and I couldn't believe that this happened. Somebody hit me on Twitter and you guys know as far as having been the Kings beat guy for a number of years. Somebody hit me up, they're like, Man, where's Sacramento in your list? And I don't know what in the world happened. I mean, admittedly I was on deadline and I didn't even <laughs> think about him. So I just didn't write about the Kings, but I'm not ready to totally throw them under, but it, it things have not unfolded the way they wanted to. You know, they they go hard after Andre Iguodala. They yanked the offer, and I get why they yanked it. And I, you know, I talked to those guys about it. They didn't want to be used as leverage, but I think that would have been a tremendous addition. If they, even if they overpaid for Andre, I'd be same thing as Charlotte, Detroit. I'd be saying about Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a swing and a miss. It's unfortunate for them. Uh, and then from there, you know, I like Carl Landry a lot, but gave him a, a pretty nice contract. You know, and, and uh, it's just not the impact moves I think they were hoping to make under new ownership. Um, that's kind of the only one that comes to mind, to be honest with you guys. The, the one team, and really I guess there should be two of them that I looked at, guys, and I, I'd love to hear what you guys think. To me, that, that struck out dramatically this summer, and, it, and it's kind of gotten glossed over because they've done some other minor moves that have kind of salvaged it a bit. But if you're Dallas and you go two summers yeah. and swing and miss on the big-name free agents with Dirk in the twilight of his career, how do you – how do you tell? How do you explain that to Dirk that hey, you know, we won that championship, but basically you're gonna spend the rest of your career watching everybody else win, 
And then if you're the Hawks, Lang, for you especially, I know that's your team. If you're the Hawks and you got 34 to $40 million theoretically to play with in in free agency, and the best you can do is Carl Millsaps, Damari Carroll, you know, Kyle Corbin, and these guys, what does that say to your fans if if this is what they can expect when you have the ultimate flexibility? You know, draft picks. The Hawks had four draft picks in yep. all this cap space, and it didn't turn into a player, even in a trade, that you could hold up and say, hey, this is the face of our franchise and the guy we're building around. Don't talk about Dennis Schroeder like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I, that would be frustrating to me if I'm a fan of those teams and I watch a team like Houston come out of nowhere for the second time. They came out of nowhere for Harden and basically came out of nowhere over the past year for Dwight Howard and, and a, pulled off huge deals. It took Houston, what, seven years to get to this point where they had mm-hmm. the flexibility to sure. make those big deals, right? Sure, but you got to make them. Right, but you also have to get to the point where you have the flexibility to make those deals, mm-hmm. I think. And it it took them long enough to where they were able at the drop of a hat to pivot and, and make that kind of a big deal. And I, I think, well, like as a Hawks fan, I don't really expect that from the Hawks right now. They just got a new coach. I don't know what he's going to be like. I don't know what kind of team they want. He's never been a head coach in the NBA. Uh, I, I I didn't expect them this summer to, to make those kind of big deals. I think if you're a fan of a team like the Hawks and they make this announcement that, hey, we're going to change the way we're doing things and we're going to um, sort of change our, our mindset and the way we're attacking things, I don't expect it to happen all of a sudden. I, but I do – at some point there's going to come a time where you have to pay the piper, but I don't think they're at that point quite yet. Sam, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but when you when you have ultimate resources – you know, when you get to that summer where you have the resources, there are players available. And Doc, no doubt, Doc going to the Clippers threw a monkey wrench in everybody's plans. Yeah. You know, it took Chris Paul off the board before teams even got started trying to move stuff around and making space. But then I look at Boston and Danny Ainge, when it looks like nothing can be done, he always seems to find a way to make a deal. I'm just wondering, is it a case where there are, there are guys who are running franchises who are deal makers, and other guys simply are not? Well, I think markets coming into play. Um, you know, Atlanta was crossing its fingers that maybe they get lucky and, and this narrative of Dwight and Josh Smith coming home mm-hmm. together, you know, and then that didn't pan out. Um, I think if I was a GM or maybe if I was an assistant GM looking at GM jobs and thinking to myself, how would I run the team if and when I get there, it's going to make me take a step back and, and have a little pause when it comes to the strategy of, uh, you know, guys who come in and immediately think that I got to clear the deck I got to mold this my way, and once I get that space, then I can go to work. I can be in control. We can have the team that I want. It doesn't work that way because obviously you're, you're subject to the, the, the market, who's available free agency wise. You're subject to competition, bigger markets, and you know, in the case of Houston, great work by those guys. But you know, James Harden was like the you know de facto GM in the end in terms of attracting talent. You know, you got to have that player that. Guys want to come, you know, play ball with. So, you know, I just don't think it's as simple as clearing the deck salary-wise and then going to work. Uh, and then Sekou, I agree with you on Dallas. You know, they uh, it's an interesting one there. He's swing and miss two years in a row. Took a lot of heat for breaking up the championship team. Yeah. I, I've defended, you know, Mark before and saying I understand why and, and saying that there was a chance he was going to look like he was ahead of the curve. Um, but that's not the case right now. And – you know, it's like, oh, by the way, it's it's sacrilege to ever even bring up the idea of Dirk not retiring with the Mavericks. But, I, you know, I did a piece last year when I talked to Dirk, and 
And, uh, and Mark wasn't too thrilled with me about it because, you know, I said, listen, your guy said that if they are having a scratch and claw to get in the playoffs next year, that that's not what he wants. And he kind of left it hanging. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying I'm threatening the team, but like, no, that's not how I want to finish my career. Well, I mean, nothing has happened this summer to get them any closer. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got to wonder about what that means. No doubt. Sam Amick of USA Today Sports joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Sammy, it's good to hear your voice, my man. Good to uh, see your work as always, and I'm sure we'll see you in uh, Vegas maybe for uh, some summer league or USA basketball a few weeks here. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm leaving Friday, heading out to uh, good old Twin City. Should have known. Listen, I'll see you there, man. And uh, like I told you a few days ago, um, dope beverage on me, my friend. (laughs) All right, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Always good. All right, Sam. Appreciate it. You know, I think that's one of the the teams that are going to be lost in this whole summer is Dallas. A few years uh, ago, I mean, that that championship glow, and they had a chance to go. They had that fork in the road, Rick. Yeah. Do you do you, do you you take the team, blow it up, and prepare for whatever the next era might be? Or do you try and squeeze it and stretch it? And it's tough. You don't, you know, because you never know when to get off that, that train when you got a championship group. Oh, I think you know when. You know. Well, you, sometimes you fight it, though, I'm saying, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think you know, you're absolutely right. You know, teams you, fight you that know. urge, you know. Yeah, you know, but when you win a championship, man, you fall in love with players a little <laughs> more than you than you than you could imagine. I'm telling you, this, yeah. you, you hold on one year too long, and and, and you, you know, so moving guys after you win a championship—that's a hard thing to do. The fans are, you know, invested yeah. now. They want to celebrate them the next year. They want to believe that you know we can do it again. And I'm telling you, man, some of the some of the greatest moves that can be made are, are really in that glow. Yeah. Uh, players are at the highest level value wise. (laughs) It's, it's really, but it takes some shrewd, it takes shrewd business. Similar. Like you talked about with Danny Ainge, you know, everyone thought those guys deserve to be retired as Celtics. I know he's, I mean, look, man, he's like, Hey man, I got to build this thing up again. Paul, I mean, Paul Pierce gets traded in the division. I mean, serious. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't always agree with Angel's moves, but I got to give the dude credit. <laughs> he is fearless. He will try. Yeah. You know, he has no hesitation about trying to do something dramatic. And and Brad Stevens. No, oh, I mean we didn't even get there. I mean, yeah, Brad, nobody saw that coming. Oh. Right. And I, you know, and I don't have a. I have no crystal ball, but I don't have a. I'm nervous as hell for Brad Stevens. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he, got, he got a long, he got a lot of years. You know, he got that, he got that sexy contract and all that. But it's like, man, do you have any? You thought recruiting the Butler was tough? Well, let me tell you, you something. getting ready to, you know, when if you rebuilding and you got he dudes that coming through that locker room that could, you know, like whatever, man, they wouldn't care if Red Arback was talking to him. He needed to go study the, the Rick Pitino years. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Rick was there. laughs> I, I can, I need to go sit down with him and talk to him for a minute. Was Man. there until you got well? You got Amnesty or what? Renounced? Yeah, I, I got <laughs> I got amnesty. all the I got all the A's. <laughs> I got Arst, Amnesty. I know I know one thing. You didn't Ashton. last two seconds on your on our bet last week, Lang. You know he. I, I sure did. He didn't I, last. Ten minutes. I tried though, man. He was on Deadspin, but he was on Deadspin an hour after we got off the show. <laughs> got done taping. I was like, what? I had some good ones though. <laughs> My last one. I was Dwight House that. Down. That was my favorite one. Of the other. 
like the, I liked it when I suggested he go see Superman, and he said, I've seen it, but I like the first one better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You remind me to remind me to not to stand next to you at the table in Vegas. By the way, because <laughs> I got a bad feeling you are not going to be good luck. You, I'm talking about. I was getting tweets and texts from people like, "Man, what's up with Rick? He's going off." And I was like, "No, we're off the air. We're done. We, we we're done taping." And they're like, "No, check Twitter. Check Deadspin." I was like, "Oh, this dude is." I tried. You gotta love it, man. It's uh, it's I, been. I, a, hey, I didn't go off like Ice Cube. No, you <laughs> I didn't go off like Kareem. Yeah, you didn't you didn't go completely over the edge, but give him time. You know. It's a long summer still. Yeah. Long yeah. summer. Um Hey, shout out to the Toronto Raptors though, man. Nigeria, man. Hey, yo, good awesome moves, man. Getting rid of Benyarni, getting three draft picks, and then signing Tyler Hansborough. Think so, Tyler, man, with some minutes. Carolina, Carolina pride shining through. Oh man, I'm telling you, Tyler mark my word, Tyler Hansborough with some minutes. Seventeen and nine. Oh, okay. okay, I am writing that down. Yes, write it. Yes. Write it down. Yes, you heard it here first. Write it down. I might tweet that. <laughs> write it down. I love it though. Hey, that's what the summer is for, and that's predicting seventeen and nine this season, Rick. If he plays, he says with minutes. If he plays thirty-three minutes a game, thirty-three to thirty-four minutes a game. I'm trying to think. He starting power forward. I'm trying to think. The, uh, who he he? I'm telling you, seventeen and nine. Wow, I love I love it. I love your fearlessness. You ought to good. You ought to be working for Danny Ainge. <laughs> you ought to be working in the Boston Celtics front office. Hey, I'm gonna go celebrate the independence of the Bahamas. You guys want to come? <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll be on the first thing smoking to the Bahamas, man. All Listen, right, appreciate it, Rick Lang. Guys, man. Great show as always, right here on the Hang Time Podcast. Shout out to our See man Sam Amick, USA Today Sports, joining us breaking down the White House situation in free agency. Next week, might this be in is, Vegas. You never know. You never know where we're going to be on the Hang Time Podcast. We'll see I you next we need, time. We need to end it with Rick saying, this is our Independence Day. <laughs> this is our Independence Day. <laughs> on Forward, onward, upward, together. <laughs> Happy Independence Day, Bahamas. We'll see you next time right here on the Hang Time Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And as always, say Kuna Matata.